children of the world, parents of the world, this is for you. I'm Rowena. And I'm April. We are best friends and moms to five young athletes and sisters to Olympic champions. We have a mission to inspire our kids and your kids through the stories of champions. Who am I? I'm a champion. Who am I? I'm a champion. Who am I? I'm a champion. Oh my gosh, you guys, welcome today. I am so excited. We have Grant Corgan here, and I just cannot wait for you guys to hear this interview. Grant is a world-renowned athlete and adventurer, as well as a speaker and author. Grant was a professional snowmobiler and whitewater athlete prior to breaking his back, suffering a spinal cord injury in March of 2010. His life was changed in a moment, and since then, he has been finding the magic that happens when you refuse to let life keep you down. He teaches people to overcome adversity and choose positivity in their everyday lives. This is a huge reason why we bring you the stories of champions to give you the tools to get back up when life gets you down. Grant might not be one of the typical champions we have on the show with gold medals and accolades in the Olympics, but what he does in his life, pushing his body and mind in the stuff of champions. We are excited to dig in with you today, Grant. Welcome. We are so excited to have you. Good morning, you guys. Stoked to be here. Uh, so excited. We have been G'd up for this and we've dug in and learned more about your life. Um, let's kind of start from the beginning, though. We're going to hear all about Grant now, but what was what were you like as a kid? What were you into? What did you love? I got to say, I love the uh, the G'd up. I appreciate that. <laughs> also G'd up. I'm excited. It's a, uh, uh, by the way, I got to tell you both. I love, I love what you do. And I love the impact that you both make on the world, both in your professional private lives and through this podcast. I, I, I think that, that more voices need to come out about being positive, about choosing the goodness, about seeing the greatness that comes through struggle and and so I'm, I'm truly honored to be here. And to get to your question, what was I like as a kid? I was fired up. I mean, I grew up in Lake Tahoe on the North Shore in Incline Village. And I was one of those kids that was just awed by what I got to do. I was awed by what was around me. Yes, I was, I was blessed in that it happened to be mountains and lakes and all these things. But I realized as I got older you know, as an elementary school kid uh, and then a middle school kid and a high school kid, everybody that I grew up with, the, the lion's share kept saying growing up in Tahoe, I can't wait to get out of this place. There's nothing to do here. Wow. And myself and about three other kids were just mind blown because we were backpacking every day. We were jet skiing. We were ski racing. We were, you know, hiking. We were, I mean, we would literally go into the woods where there's houses now and we would build these tracks. You remember the movie Rad? like Crew Jones and Hell Track. Yeah. I mean, we had all that in the backyards of all these different houses and it was magic. It was magic. So I think for me, if you ask me what was my childhood like, it was about raking up and curating magic no matter where I was in the world. It didn't matter if I was in Tahoe or if I was visiting relatives in literally the middle of Oklahoma where I would find these incredible things to do and just be wowed by. I was this kid that was curious and doe-eyed and just stoked on everything that was happening around me. Oh my gosh. I mean, that continues too, because you are like a kid still, like with so much excitement for life and positivity. And that's why everyone loves you, not just us. So let's actually go back. Um, I know you guys heard in the intro that Grant sustained a spinal cord injury, but take us back to that. And like, what was it like when that in that moment when you were told you weren't going to walk again? So going back to the injury, we, we almost have to go a couple steps further back from that. My life post, say, high school was all about go to college. It was go to college, go to college. And I went to college in Colorado for a couple of years, lost a dear friend in a, a horrible avalanche. And my, my whole world was downhill skiing at that point. It was turning into freestyle skiing and, and lost a, a friend to a really, really bad accident. And it changed my life. And when when he when Casey passed away, I moved back to the Reno Tahoe area and found mechanical engineering. I changed my major. I went from being a business major and a music major to being a mechanical engineer in tribute mm -hmm. to my friend that I had lost. And that began this this time of me just be learning how incredibly powerful the skill of acquiring knowledge was, of flexing myself and putting myself 
way past my skill set. I mean, I was not born to be a mechanical engineer. I was 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. I mean, it was for my first hard math classes, I, I brought on three and four and sometimes five tutors to help me figure out what was going on. But I did the work so I could crush the tests so that I could move to the next level. And I just kept clawing my way through what I viewed as this challenge, this exceptional challenge of mechanical engineering. And it worked its way to my final year where here I am about to graduate and I realized I need an internship. And so I went to this new professor who was the first and youngest professor to graduate from Stanford with a degree, a PhD in nanotechnology, who was now a professor at the University of Nevada, Reno. And I I basically told him, I'm your intern. And so I was able to work out an internship. It led to the ability to work at Stanford and go down. And we basically built a, a, a piece of technology in this internship that led to the technology transfer offices saying of both Stanford and of UNR and all these various organizations in the national lab organization saying, we need you to spin out of academia to go to the private sector to build us the things you just made so we can use them in these high energy, high density laser campaigns. So all of a sudden, I graduate on a Saturday, Monday morning, I'm the president of a nanotechnology company that is curating and creating these devices that are critical to to two things. One was fusion energy. It had real hope for fusion energy. The other was the reduction of ocular tumors. So all all of a sudden now, this kid who loves challenge and who takes on whatever challenge comes his way and says, I I won't just get through it. I want to thrive through it. And I want to learn everything there is to learn about it. And I want to better the world with it has an opportunity to impact the worlds of cancer and the worlds of fusion energy, which is basically free energy. It's this wild and crazy blue sky concept. But this was my mindset. And so I go on for years and years and years with these incredible campaigns and foreign countries and labs in Germany and labs in France. And I just get to be this this scientist. This era of my life was all about working as hard as I possibly could to develop this technology. And wham, I end up in the ICU with a spinal cord injury. And the way it worked is I had a dual life. Part of me was a scientist. The other half of me was a professional athlete. And I would go down to the lab in Stanford and I'd work for 12, 14, 18 hour days for four or five months. And then I would deliver in in these various national labs. And then I'd get on a plane and I'd head down to South America and go kayaking for two months. And it worked. I could work really hard and then play even harder. So I was able to to sort of do both of the responsibilities that I had in life, both occupationally, professionally, as a scientist, and then as an athlete, and, and provide for my sponsors the content that they needed from me. And we were out snowmobiling in the Sierra backcountry, not far from, from my home and from April's home. We were just outside Sonora Pass, which is about halfway between Lake Tahoe and Mammoth. And we were filming. I was on the third jump of the day. And I overshot the jump. I just came into the to the to the runway and I came off at maybe a half a mile an hour too fast. I mean, mm-hmm. barely too fast. We're not talking a long way. This wasn't a jump that was outside my skill set. I had trained for this my whole life. It was all within my wheelhouse. This was the kind of jump we do, call it 50 times a day, all mm-hmm. season long for, for decades. And I just overshot it by about a half a mile an hour and it was a step over jump that went down. It was about 140-ish feet. And I I just I kept following my transition. I was just past the transition point. And when I hit, I hit right past two feet past the safe zone, past the transition and onto the flats. And when I hit instantly, it felt like like a switch went off, like a gunshot to my spine. It just was it went from a hundred percent feeling to I hit and a light switch went off and it all of a sudden was was like I had a, a sack of warm, hot BBs sloshing around below my belly button. And from the belly button down, I, I knew I'd broken my back. I knew that I had no feeling or movement below my belly button. And I didn't crash. I just hit so hard that that happened. And as I rolled to a stop, we were filming uh, for a movie and I rolled past my childhood best friend, Duncan, and my dear friend, Ryan, and Ken, who was on a third angle up on the hill. And I'm yelling, I broke my back, I broke my back. And I come to a stop and then Ryan gets to me first, scoops me from behind. Duncan takes Ryan and makes Ryan the backboard and slides Ryan off the snowmobile with him being stiff and firm, trying to isolate my spine. 
and they lay me in the snow. And I'm in these first moments of, I can't feel my legs. I can't feel anything from the belly button down. And I'm screaming and I'm freaking out and I'm, oh, I'm realizing that life has changed. And I'm realizing that everything I know to be true about the world is about to be tested. And I'm realizing that I have a choice. I mean, really, as soon as it happened, there was no, there was no time to say, uh, woe is me, I can't believe this happened to me. That it, right off the bat there in the snow, we were still in the fight of how do we survive this? It was the end of the day, the weather had turned, a storm was coming in, and we had to decide in that moment, do we risk shearing my spine by trying to get me in a space blanket so I can make it through the night? Or do we risk going into hypothermia to just leave me in the snow hoping a helicopter would come? And we chose the latter. We chose actively to not shear the spine, to maintain whatever whatever spinal cord was left in there in hopes of a great recovery, in hopes of a life uh, that, that would allow me to, to continue doing the sports that I love. We, we risked that banking on a helicopter. And Ken rode out. It was a harrowing story. I, I chronicled the whole thing in my book, Two Feet Back, and was able to get to a military base right outside of Sonora and rode his snowmobile right down the road in the runway. And they, you know, they come and they stop him and he get, he's able basically to jump in with them. They take him in. And this is in the military base. And they were able to call a helicopter and get a helicopter out to us. And recovery started at that point. But I, I recognized, you asked the question, what was it like to hear the words you'll never walk again. What, what was it like to hear the words, you know, whatever those words are or were for me, it didn't matter what the words were. It was the same thing I'd done my whole life. It was a challenge and I was going to learn everything I could learn through that challenge and come hell or high water. I was going to climb to the top of whatever that challenge was to see the view that I'm supposed to see from it and make the most epic experiences out of a most challenging experience. I, I knew I was committed to that. I, of course, didn't know how hard that was going to be. I didn't know the reality of that. But in my mm -hmm. mind, I'm thinking, I, I know how to get through this. I just make this challenge no different than any other challenge, no different than mechanical engineering, no different than whitewater kayaking, no different than professional snowmobiling. It's the same. And so I think to answer your question, if you can take out the flavor of of what the challenge is and just focus on the fact that everything that is hard for you is a challenge and stay committed to the learning. And then from that, live in the bliss of what you create from your personal development. I, I think there's nothing that can stop you. Yeah. I see what you mean. Like how you're like, I've done this before. You, you had that hunger for knowledge and learning and overcoming and be becoming something you never imagined to be, you know, in your professional life. And I see what you mean now. It's almost like you were made for this. Um, I mean, it sounds weird to say that, but wow. Um, I'm listening to you talk too. And you know, obviously April and I are parents to kids and there's a lot of young, you know, our young tribe of champions listening to this, but there's also parents listening and teachers and coaches. And I'm sitting here listening to you and wondering, what did your parents do right? I think, I think you were born a certain way, but what did they do right? <laughs> I've got, I got a great answer to that. Uh, so yeah. April and I, we, you know, we obviously, we grew up in Tahoe. I grew up in Incline. April was one ridge right over. And my parents, I, I got to think that April's parents did the same thing. My parents, when it was a pow day, when the snow was right and everything was great, my mom would write a letter to the school saying, Grant's not feeling good today or Grant's not coming in. And I'm not saying that was, not, I don't mean it in a dishonest or disingenuous way, but I mean where my parents realized the things that were important in life. Like, they made it so when it was that good, when it was the day of days, they weren't going to send me off to an inside room to say, you know, sit and, and, and as soon as you're done with school, you can go play on the track snow. They knew that life was about experiences. And so they also knew that if I was thriving, if my brain was keyed up and as you said, Ro, G'd up, if, I, if that's where I'm at and that's the place that I'm coming from, then when the next day, when I get to class, I will do that day's work and more because I'm the best version of me. And so I think that translated to everything my, my parents did and exposed me to. It was, it was a belief that, and I say this, life 
and I, I really mean this, life is about experiences, full stop, period, end of sentences. And like, it, that's it. That's what we're here to do. Whatever those experiences are, we're, you know, good, bad, ugly, great, whatever these things are, they're all experiences. In the same way you can take challenge and take away whatever the details of that challenge is and just call it a challenge and now you know how to deal with it, is the same way with experiences from everything that's amazing and everything that hurts and everything that challenges your heart and everything that makes you flex to, to, to show up and be the biggest, best version of yourself. All these things are experiences. And so if we're here to feel and do these things, then they're all valid. They're all valid. And I think my parents did a great job of, of showing me that, that, that if, uh, you know, as a young kid, what it felt like to, to ski on the best day ever, what it felt like to fall down and skin my knees and, and be crying because I, I'm, I'm in pain, what it felt like for me to come home with a broken heart in high school and say, what, what, what's happening right now? It, all of these things are valid and real and they make you who you are. Yeah. So, you know, on to, to just add to that, is that positivity and that outlook on life, is that something that was taught to you or is that something that just has come along with experiences? Because I can tell you for what you've gone through to see how you are literally not just surviving, but thriving is, and I know there were so many hard times, you know, throughout your journey. And, you know, maybe you can talk to us about like, you know, where that came from. Did you have to teach it to yourself? And if you did, like, how did you teach it? And also in those moments, when things are hard, like, how do you get through those? Because I know so many people um, will benefit from hearing, you know, how you've done that, because it's just amazing. We love it. We love that about you. I love you both. And I, I think the answer is, it's a choice. I mean, it's a choice. It isn't something that it isn't something that some magical uh, trait or characteristic that I was born with, or that I found, I didn't stumble upon the, the Rosetta Stone of positivity. I think I think it really is a choice. I mean, every day, um, I'll get really real with you. Every day I wake up. This morning I woke up, my eyes opened to a world where my legs are still paralyzed. I woke up to splintering nerve pain, to nerve pain that feels like my toenails are being ripped off 24 hours a day. Right now I have nerve pain that is it is insane. It's insane. It's insane. And if I allow it, if I let it in my mind to, for what it is, and I think about it, and I, I even let it be a part of my reality, it could take me over. I could be that guy that just says, I can't even leave the house right now. I'm in too much pain. I could always say that 100% of the time. There's never a time when that's not a real option. But I open my eyes. I realize I'm in a body that I wouldn't necessarily choose, that I have elements that are holding me back from being my, my best self, my true self, from expressing myself, my identity, and that which is in my heart. It's real, but I throw those feet, those lifeless feet that I can't feel on the floor, and I choose to smile, and I choose to show up, and I choose to say, what are we doing today? Today, not tomorrow, not a week from now, not a week ago. What are we doing today? that's going to put a smile on other people's face, that's going to put a smile on my face. And it's a choice. And, and the reason I, I say that it's a choice is because it is a genuine practice. It's a genuine practice at all times. I, I, could, I could give up. I could quit. I could say, I'm in pain. I don't want to continue. But the truth is, what kind of life would I live if I gave up, if I sat down, if I said, no, this is where my story ends? And And I say this because as a scientist, I've run the experiment, and this is the important part. The experiment is if you choose positivity, right, unconsciously, as we all do, when we eat ice cream, wow, we're stoked. When we surf on a wave, wow, we're feeling amazing. Like those are unconscious positive moments. But when positivity is chosen in a negative moment, something where your brain says this should be really bad and I should be in pain and I should be unhappy. In fact, I should tell everybody about how unhappy I am. If that's where you're at and you stop yourself and you choose stoke and you choose positivity in those moments as an experiment, I have seen the magic that happens on the other side of that. I'm gonna tell you a quick story. I yes. was early on, you love stories. I, I did early on in, uh, in, in the spinal cord injury and my, my insane, amazing soulmate, glorious wife, Shauna, who has just been an angel on this earth to make every one of these moments a reality and possible for me to, to get through this spinal cord injury. I mean, I have run 
toward her. I've had someone to run toward in this whole experience. My 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 queen. She's just been there in every moment when I when I need to cry. I I I cry in her arms when I need to shout. I need to let it out. Whatever it is that I'm going through, and this is this is a point before the story. Back to you know the conscious choice. What's real is real. If you feel like you need to cry, you need to cry. Like you need to let it out. If you feel like you need to sit down and talk with somebody, you need to sit down and talk with somebody. And I feel like emotions have to flow through you. The minute you bottle one up, it stops, just like water. I love, and, yeah. You know what I mean? And then it. I love that you're saying this. Fills. This is so important. You have to let it out. Like if, if right now, I mean, it'll probably happen two or three times in this podcast. I'll probably cry because I'll have a moment where it's so real for me. And if I hold it back and bottle it up, the, the it's like a dam. It's like closing the faucet and the water will build behind. And then that's going to manifest negatively somewhere else in your life. At some point, you're going to burst. You're going to blow up. Things aren't going to be right. And you're going to be out of whack. So so getting to the story, I'm early on, I'm in the shower. And showering for a guy with a spinal cord injury is wholly different than what it used to be like showering without a spinal cord injury. You know, when you shower, you stand up. You have both arms to, you know, shampoo your hair and scrub your body and all these things. They're amazing. You have access to all this stuff. And you, anyway, so I'm sitting down. I have this bench in the shower. I'm new to this. And I'm a guy, I sing in the shower. I'm clearly that dude that's like suds and up and, you know, crushing some classic rock. And, you know, like I'm doing my thing and it's all good. Sean is downstairs in our house. I'm upstairs, suds up. I'm singing. And I have no feeling or movement below my belly button at this point. So I'm, I'm sat on this bench with a pad. The pad's really slippery. I didn't notice because I don't feel anything down there. I got soap underneath between where I was sitting and my butt, which made it slippery. My eyes are closed. I'm sudsing and off I go right off the back. I just fall stone cold off the back. And wham, I hit on all these freshly stapled, you know, spine parts Ow. and all these like bolts and bam, right to the back oh. of the, the tub. But that wasn't the worst part was like, and you can both very much, I, I think, feel this. It wasn't the worst that I hit the bottom. It was that my head hit this rack of every type of lotion and potion and, you know, all Shauna's various, like, you know, hair supplies. We're talking like different flavors for different like days of the week. We got like plumerias on Tuesdays, and, you know, like melons on Wednesdays. And so like loofah sponges, everything is raining down on me, just bam, bam, bam off this rack, the whole thing. So I hit the rack lands on me. I get covered in product. It's, it's a moment, right? And boom, I hit and it settles within one, literally the second I hit the neck, Shauna probably jumped the whole stairway to get to me. She yanks open the door, the shower door to find me covered in bottles and razors and loofahs, laughing and smiling. And the thing is, I realized in that moment, I realized if I was ever going to choose negativity, that was the moment. If I was ever going to, I'm covered, I've, I've hit, I'm in pain. I mean, the, the indignity of falling in the shower and being cut, like it was all the things and no one would blame me. If I told you right now, both that I was mad, that was a turning point. I decided uh, life was messed up and period. You'd say, yeah, I get it. But I ran the experiment. The experiment was what happens when you choose positivity as a conscious choice in a time when your brain wants you to choose negativity. It's human to choose negative. But, but what if I just go exceptional here? What if I just, what if I run the experiment and choose positivity? I smiled. I laugh. She opens the door, finds me laughing. And you know what? I had to do the work either way. Either way, we had to clean me off. We had to, you know, get all the products put back up. We had to get into bed. Like either way, we had to do the work. It wasn't going to change how much work we had to do. But how the work got done, smiling, laughing, coming further together as a team was instant and the reason it, it made sense, this was the result. The result was the very next day, 6 a.m., so I went to bed that night. The next day I woke up, 6 a.m., right back in the gym, right back in the therapy room, right back moving forward, right back to climbing through the things I'm supposed to learn. Had I chosen negativity, it might have taken me a week to get back to that point. If you're running a marathon and you stop in the marathon – you're watching everybody pass you. So every second I'm not in the gym, everybody's passing me. You're better to keep it moving forward. And worst case, if you choose negativity, it's like turning around in the marathon and going the wrong way. So now you not only have to make up the time that you lost being negative, you have to make up the ground that you gave back being negative. 
So I realized in that experiment that positivity wasn't just this, hey, check me out, I'm stoked, woohoo, smiles for miles scenario. It's an actual tool that when the chips are down and life is hard and you get through your human reaction, you need to cry, you let it out. You get through you know, needing to be mad, get it out, but choose positivity and move forward in the marathon. Stay at the front, at the forefront of your performance, of your trajectory, of what you're learning in life. Mm. It's almost it's such a smart way to look at it. It's almost like the pain of choosing negativity is far worse than the pain to just quickly choose positivity. It's it's the result, actually. It's the result of choosing negativity down the road is far worse than the difficulty of choosing positivity originally. And and again, I say it not trying to be, you know, again, it's not some superhuman thing that like, bam, I, you know, I, I, I fall and I, I scrub my elbows and like, I'm in pain and I'm going to just fake it and be like, nope, all good. No, go be human, be human, get through the moment, get through the challenge. But as soon as it's past, you know, fight or flight, the immediate need to take care of yourself or, you know, from a mental health standpoint, get off your chest and out of your heart, what you're feeling as soon as you can start running in the marathon again and go the direction toward the finish line. So, so this is an interesting point because you can see how with all of these elements that like from a scientist's mind, I want to experiment with life, right? So there's all of these things that I'm learning and now I've presented myself. I say, I say it like this because I am wholly in control and, and responsible for giving myself a spinal cord injury. Nobody did this to me. This was 100% me. There's zero victimhood in this whatsoever. I, through the, the love of my passions and my sports, gave myself this challenge. I, I wouldn't choose it. I, I, I would love to invent uh, the flux capacitor, put it in DeLorean and go back to the <laughs> moment right before I went off that jump and stopped myself and say, hey, whoa, just just dial it down a half a mile an hour. But yeah. through that, I have, I have this challenge and now I, I'm at choice. I'm at choice. Do mm-hmm. I, do I use it as an experiment and do I better myself and learn from it and become, uh, the most, I, I, I don't even want to say high performing. I want to say the most odd kid of everybody that, you know, from this scenario, or, or do I take it and say, this is an excuse. This is something I have to present to the world and say, Hey, I walk different. I look different and I'm bummed about it. Right? Like from a, from a kid standpoint, and from even an adult standpoint, people only know how you present your struggle. On one hand, you could say, if, if, if I look different and I'm showing up to school different and I'm wearing different clothes, right? And I'm, uh, I'm not sure about it and I'm bummed on it. And, oh, uh, God, like uh, even the world says a spinal cord injury is a bad thing. Well, then everybody will view it that way. That's, that's the way the world will treat you. But if I can say, all right, let me rebrand that for a quick minute. I've had this spinal cord injury. I walk different. I surf different. I ski different. And I dig it. And I'm not saying I dig it like I would choose it and it's something that I would want to do. But I'm having a blast doing the things that I get to do, that I am that I am carving out and creating. And I'm, I'm on a different path doing something different. And I want to – everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. But that's a different feel. For, for you to present your, your, what makes you unique to the world. And I, I think I see that in kids all the time. So many kids have such unique, beautiful opportunities to, to present themselves and say, I am different in this way. And you should join me in celebrating that. Oh, I love this so much. Well, I think at the, on the same on the same lines of that is that you're so grateful for so many things. And as we know, we talk about it all the time. The more you're grateful for, the more comes to you. And I love the story. I want you to tell everybody because I just remember it so well because it's, su- it's such a pivotal moment. I feel like kind of like that story you just told. But when you were in the hospital and you kind of were maybe in a, a darker place and Shauna... And what did Shauna do? She she had you just say one thing you're grateful yes. for, right? Can you tell us that? Tell us about that. So so this gets back to, to being real and being human. And I, I mean, I I struggle just like every other person. I cry. I, I you know, as much as I'm I'm saying I'm able to take the lemons that, that exist in my life and make them into rad lemonade and then share them with others and say, hey, taste this. This is, this is going to be rad. As much as I'm able to do that, it doesn't mean that I don't miss my legs in the way that they used to work. It doesn't mean that I don't yearn to, to get back on a, 
a mountain bike or dance with my wife or, or just mm-hmm. stand up in the shower. I mean, the smallest things, it doesn't mean that's not real. And so I do have these, these moments. And I think it isn't about, it isn't about ignoring them or moving past the hard, challenging times. It's about going there. It's about leaning into them. It's about facing it. It's about falling straight in and crying as hard as you can or, or, or communicating as beautifully as you can to the people that can help you. And in that vein, I hit rock bottom in the hospital. So here I am. And I was, you know, we had the helicopter had gotten us out of the backcountry. It was nine days in the ICU. It was another day on the neuro floor and then 30 days in the inpatient rehab. And it was, it was the hardest, most brutal time of my life. No question. And as it was all setting in, because when you go into the hospital with a spinal cord injury, there's a lot of trauma that is happening right off the bat. And then you go into surgery. There's going to be this surgery. And your double fingers crossed when you wake up from that surgery, you're going to feel your feet again. Because mm-hmm. you still remember literally 12 hours ago what it felt like to move your feet. You remember what it felt like to look at people from six feet rather than four you remember these things. You remember what it felt like to, to feel breeze on your face as you're walking through a, a crowd or a forest. You, you remember these things because it just happened. And so I went into the surgery. Of course, I'm completely out of it through this whole scenario. And, you know, seven, eight days later, I start to come out of the trauma fog in the ICU and realize that my legs are not working still. And I'm still not feeling anything below my belly button. And this challenge isn't something that can be easily fixed. I'm, I'm in for the long haul. And so that started to set in as I got into the inpatient rehab. And then it was, you know, people coming in, OTs and PTs that were, okay, let's get you in your wheelchair. Let's go. And I was not the stoked guy that was like, hell yeah, throw me in the wheelchair. Let's, let's go. It was, it was beat it. It was get out of here. I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing that. My, my, my brain was too, I was too, I was too locked into my way of saying, no, 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 no. I will not accept help. I will not uh, go down this road. I will not settle. I will not, I will not, I will not uh, coalesce to this. And I was wrong. I was really, really wrong. I, I, I battled and I struggled at trying to figure out my way uh, with everybody trying to help me. You know, here were occupational therapists and PTs. And, and when I hit rock bottom, it was late. It was maybe two in the morning. I had obviously you haven't slept since since before this thing happened. And I'm crying and I'm crying and I'm crying. And it was night after night that I was just crying and crying and crying, just sure that I had I had changed our life, Shauna and I, our life. I was sure that I had changed it forever. And in the moment of highest need, when I was crying my absolute hardest, she grabs me. And she grabbed me by the shoulders and she wanted to just take it away. She wanted to take the pain away and she wanted to fix it. And she shakes me by the shoulders. And in a moment of, of absolute truth and absolute desperation, she says, you tell me three things you're grateful for right now. Three things. And I, wait, wait, what? And it shook me out of the crying. And I thought, you are crazy right now. Three, three things for me to be grateful for in this moment. And she said, yes, three things. And I knew she wouldn't let me out of it. And I said, okay, all right. Nothing to be grateful for here, but um, you, you, and you. And she said, great, that worked. <laughs> and we went on. We went on that night, and I, I, I got a little sleep. And, and the next night, she says, you tell me three things you're grateful for. And I said, you, you, and you. She's like, great, sounds good. The next night, you, you, and you. The next night, you, you, and you. The night after that, you, you, and the fact that I got to eat solid food. The night after that, you, and the fact that I got to eat solid food, and the fact that I got into a reclinable wheelchair. The next night, you, the fact that I got to start PT and on and on and on. And you couldn't tell me that 39 days later, I wasn't that dude rolling out of the hospital in a wheelchair with a smile on my face because I knew all of the little things I had to be grateful for in my life. They were all around me. I just wasn't aware of it. And I think that is the quintessential magic in life. I'm getting goosebumps on my arms right now saying this. It is all around us when we're when we're conscious to everything we have to be grateful for. And I really mean it. Like right now, how's the air we're breathing? I mean, we've had forest fires in Tahoe and in Reno for the last three weeks. And today, oh my God, blue skies and clear air to breathe. The food we eat, the friends we have, the experiences that we get to, to, to curate, the freedoms we have. Like, I mean, it's literally, I could go on and on and on. But you show me somebody who's having a bad day. 
And I could probably list an unlimited amount of things they have to be grateful for. If you mm-hmm. drill down to the simple things, the absolute simple, the most, you know, I, I'm not talking about the easy stuff, like the, you know, like the rad dinners and the clothes and the, you know, the, the trips. I'm not talking about that stuff. That's obvious. That's like, that's like unconscious positivity. That's, mm-hmm. it's going to happen. The conscious positivity is the things that aren't obvious, literally the air we're breathing, the fact that we're not in pain, or maybe we're in minimal pain, or maybe we're in less pain than yesterday. You know, the fact that we learn something today that's going to help us years from now, all these little tiny things that make us stay on the path in the marathon running forward. If you can curate those things, be aware of all these things that you have to be grateful for. I mean, God, the, the mentors in your life, the parents, the teachers, the, your fellow students, the people who are living the life that, that you want to live and how you can emulate the path to get there. Oh my God, there's endless things to be grateful for. And I, I think if you're aware of that, y- your mind is always going to be blown. And Shauna mm-hmm. really laid it on me, a, a, such a simple, uh, a, such a simple way for me to stay connected to that, which is every night before we go to bed, she still asks me, tell me three things you're grateful for. And I'll say it before we go to bed. She will too. And we wake up that much more grateful. Mm. You know, I was, we'll go into this, but I was going to get you to talk about all the magic that's happened in your life in the last 11 years. But as I'm sitting listening to you, I'm thinking this is the magic. You know, you say it's human to fall down. The magic happens when you get back up. And I feel right now that it's literally the choosing gratitude. That's the magic that everyone can find. Cause I think people might go and research you after this podcast and kind of be a little bit like, Whoa, well, he's amazing. I could never do all that. He's incredible. Um, but I think, yeah, you're, that's the magic you're talk about, um, you're that you're talking about, but anyway, just for fun, I don't want you to do this to toot your own horn. I know you're not about that, but I would love for you to share with our listeners, like, what you actually do do in life now without the feeling in your legs. Um, And not because I want them to sit there and think, oh, he's so amazing. He's incredible and put you on this pedestal. I want our listeners to be like, wow, if he can do that, what can I do? What else is possible? So I could list off, like I've, you know, been researching you and all you do and my mind's blowing, but tell me all the physical stuff that you do. I love it. I love it. I, yeah. I think you're, you're right, Ro, about, um, you know, the magic. I, I think mm-hmm. that is, that's, that's, that's the most incredible part of what's happening now in life. Uh, because of the theory, you give a man a fish and he eats a meal. You teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. The, the awareness, the consciousness of gratitude and the ability to just simply be happy mm-hmm. in spite of a spinal cord injury in spite of all the things that have gone wrong and have been challenges, to be able to actually, truly, and I mean, I'm literally I'm getting goosebumps again. I, I can be stoked through anything. And so I, I think you're right. That is, you know, being able to, to eat for a lifetime. So no matter what happens from here, there is no fear of, God, will I be all right? Mm-hmm. What, what if things go wrong? Yeah, well, okay. What if things go right? You know? And even if they do go wrong, you'll still find a way to make them right. So there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to hold you back. There's nothing to there's nothing to 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 place as a limit on your human potential with the sort of the experiments and understandings and, and truths and things that I just continue to keep uncovering in my 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 tiny little mind. You know, it. So I I think you're right that the magic is is the greatest adventure, uh, and that comes from gratitude and. What that's led to since having a spinal cord injury, since having no feeling of movement below my legs, was years, years and years and years of hard therapy where Shauna was pushing me so hard in, you know, we'll call it eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day of therapy to, to get to the point that I, I was able to become the first spinal cord injured athlete in history to ski to the geographic South Pole in Antarctica. And I was able to join an expedition and ski, which is for me, I mean, the two sports I follow in my life are alpine skiing and supercross. And, and I, 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 here I am in Antarctica, living a dream, 
a kid from Tahoe who loves being in the snow, who had a spinal cord injury in the backcountry and is likely should be taken out of the snow, should be taken out of the backcountry, should no longer have access to those experiences. And here I am in Antarctica with my mind blown as I'm skiing through negative 40, negative 50 degree temperatures. And I arrive at the South Pole and I, I, I'll tell the story kind of quick because it's it's for me just a mind blower. I'm, we left Shauna behind in South America when we flew over the Drake to get to Antarctica and start our expedition. She's off uh, backpacking in, in, uh, the, in, in with her friend Mel and she's doing her thing. And so I understand she's on a whole nother continent. We get to the South Pole and I'm I'm 100 feet from the South Pole. And my goal was to stand up out of the sit ski. So I was in a sit ski, which is basically a chair bolted to two skis with two poles. And I'm pulling myself across the frozen Antarctic plateau, which was insane. And to this day, I think back and say, really, did that really happen? Like, I kind of still can't believe that happened. And the final degree of latitude, 100 miles on the planet, and I'm 100 feet out. And my goal was to stand up and on my own two feet, stand up ski the final 100 feet on the 100 year anniversary of the Robert Falcon Scott Terra Nova expedition. And I did just that. I stood up, my teammates gave me their skis, their poles, walked beside me as I one step at a time made it from nine, 100 feet to 90 feet. And, and these were the hardest steps I'd ever taken. It was unstable. I had just sat for nearly 10 days, so well, 12 days, so my muscles had atrophied. I mean, I was 100% not sure I could make the final 100 feet. I, I genuinely didn't think it was possible when I was 90 feet away, and then I was 70 feet, and then I was 50 feet, and then I was 30 feet, and then at 20 feet, my goggles came off, and the tears are flying, and I joke about this because, like, crying in Antarctica is different, right? Like, the tears freeze on your face, so when you're ugly <laughs> crying, you're like, oh, like, you're all freezing up. Icicles dangling next to your nose, oh, you know, 10 feet, five feet, and I get there, and one hand goes down and lays on the South Pole sector, and literally a second before that, the, the hand's coming down, second, second, hand hits, third second, this figure steps up into my space, right in my personal space, covered head to toe in red British expedition gear, face mask, the whole thing, steps up, pulls the mask away, and says, welcome to the South Pole, and I'm thinking, oh my God. This chick looks just like my wife. Like I'm totally thinking, wow, she looks just like Shauna. And she goes in for the kiss. And this kid, I mean, keep in mind, like I am like soulmate with my queen who I'm like, I mean, I'm just like the highest uh, experience of life for me is getting to spend time with my wife. And here's this girl kissing me on the lips in a moment where we're filming this and we're making a movie and it's this crescendo moment. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm like the happiest married guy ever. Like, this is like, can't be happening. And I go to like push her away. And she put, like she comes away and I realize it is you. It wow. is Shauna. And like, you know, maybe I'm not smart enough. Like maybe my bandwidth was totally tapped, but I couldn't put it together who this person was in this in the millisecond from pulling the face mask off to kissing me. It was Shauna. She was my surprise. The team had done this like every and I was even a little embarrassed, like because I kind of pride myself in some, some James Bond uh, awareness of what's happening around me. But Everybody kept this a secret. The entire continent of Antarctica knew that Shauna was going to be the surprise. The NGO, the non-government operations knew. Literally, I was even calling in on sat phone calls. They had a code word for her named Precious Cargo. And so I was calling in, which they teased me about. And I clearly thought that was beer and pizza. No question, right? Precious Cargo. So on sat phone calls, I'm calling in to be like, uh, you know, we're at Lat Launch, such and such, and uh, looking forward to Precious Cargo. Like, I thought it was beer and champagne. Little did I know it was Shauna. And she surprised oh. me at the bottom of the world. And it was unbelievable. It went on to become a documentary named The Push, uh, who April and her amazing husband, Masi, are associate producers of. It went on to win 29, uh, sorry, it won, it won 23 out of 29 film festivals internationally. Uh, it's called The Push. You can find it on all digital platforms. Uh, it was an amazing time. And from that, I went on to, after that, you asked, you know, how did it go and, and where did we go from there? Yeah. I went on to spend a lot of years, two years on island with April's sister, Julia, and her and Mossy and her dad, who I adore and love. And mom, I just, uh, the Mancuso family is so near and dear to my heart. You guys took me in, in a time when I was in forearm crutches and sent me off in canes. And I got to work with a lot of Julia's team, a dear friend named Alejandra and her team and I, again, I talked about crying and like that was such a meaningful time for me and such a meaningful oh, experience to, to just get to to just get to full on heal. And 
something major happened in that time. April's dad, Ciro, put me on a surfboard for the first time. And it's April's dad who I credit with introducing me, reintroducing me to surfing. And we went down on Maui, got on a board. I used used April's little sister's paddle, her stand-up paddle. It was so cute. She's 18 now. She was so little then. (laughs) It was this tiny little paddle. And I would paddle into waves on a big, giant coffee table longboard. I'd put the paddle sideways. I'd grab a rail and I'd try to make a bottom turn. And that's where surfing began for me. And I am now surfing all over the world. I've gotten to have the experience of surfing cloud break. I'm surfing. I'm I'm barrel riding with April at the Kelly Slater Wave Ranch. And I'm living the dream of surfing dream waves, not not just waves that I, I I'm excited to surf, but dream waves that I am lying awake at night saying, how could I get to this wave? What would it be like to surf it? What technique would I need? And I'm getting shacked, getting fully all out, hair standing up on your arms, shacked, where I'm, I'm, I'm getting tubed and the barrel's running out ahead of me. And I'm focused, focused, focused in the barrel and coming out. And see, I mean, I'm crashing as well, lots of crashing, but it's amazing. <laughs> And I get to live my dream, my passion of surfing. I also get to still ski. I get to go out and I've been able to go on amazing trips, heli ski trips and cat skiing trips all over Canada, skied all over the U.S. And to me, getting to slide through snow and just get face shots is it's it's a it, it's an experience that anybody who's ever had even one face shot knows life is forever different. It's forever changed. And so to get to do that, to still get to experience the full Santa face at the bottom of a run, you know, and look up and see the lines that you painted on mother nature's slopes. I'm mind blown by it. I'm mind blown. So I still get to ski. I still get to surf. I've been able to set a world record paddling around the circumference of Lake Tahoe. I paddled in an outrigger canoe in OC one broke the world record going all the way 72 miles around the lake. I stayed within a thousand feet ashore the whole time. So the record would, would be valid. And, uh, I, I've since all of these amazing experiences, my lifelong dream to become a pilot has become real. And I am now a fully licensed pilot getting to fly friends and family all around the country. And it is blowing my mind to get to share the magic of aviation with others. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. I love that. We have had some amazing experiences together and I have not gotten the experience of flying with you yet. So I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> and this I love it. This yeah. is coming. You know, one of the things in your kind of story you were just talking about um, with the push, I, we talk a lot about mindset on this podcast and I, we talk so much about how important affirmations are. Talk to us about those going, take us back to the push and talk to us about those affirmations that helps you get through that. Because, um, I know that those, that it was just so, I mean, I cannot even imagine what you did. I just, I personally, even though I'm a ski, I grew up skiing, I'm a skier, I hate being cold. And so just the, some of those affirmations, oh, I love it because I think that, you know, people, people, there's no magic in it, right? It's just like yeah. saying something positive, but tell us how you got, because yeah. I know that that really helped you get through that. Look, if, if, in terms of affirmations, if, if you say something, you believe it. You believe it and you become it. You become it. It's yours. And no one can ever take that from you. It is your own personal wish factory. I mean, it's your wishing well. It's literally the magic mirror you can go to and say, I want this to happen. And Mm -hmm. you have the ability to, once you've sort of opened yourself up to it and believed that it's real and believed that it's already happened, it happens. The universe, this isn't my quote. I don't know who said this, but the universe conspires to help you create what you want to create. I just totally you know, bastardized that whole quote, but it's something like that. And so for me, picture this, I'm in Antarctica, okay? It's 50 below zero. I can't feel anything at this point, really. I mean, all of it down my legs. I, I'm, I'm unable to stand up and you know, go warm myself up and you know, dance in place and move around, like none of that. So I'm really, really vulnerable to this cold. I'm super susceptible to it. And you know, say it's 40 below and a 20 knot wind hits and now you're negative 50, negative 60 wind chill and you're freezing, you're absolutely freezing and like icicles are forming off your face. And I, I had, I had a mask that would sometimes, it was covered to keep just the air that was in front of your immediate teeth warm enough that every breath didn't make all of your teeth hurt, like that level of cold. And at times it would freeze from the moisture in my face to my beard. And the way we get it off was my teammate would rip the hair off my beard and pour hot chicken noodle soup on my face that we had in a thermos so I could get it off and breathe. But as soon as you got it off, 
everything would freeze. So I'd have noodles and chicken and everything stuck in my beard. I mean, <laughs> you know, the point I'm making here is it was miserable. There was no part of this that was glamorous or like, woohoo, look how adventure. I mean, it was the adventure was there, but the suffer fest was real. And I hit an absolute wall, not not eventually, but every day, multiple mm-hmm. times a day. To the, the wall of what I thought was possible. And so I would say to myself, you know, hey, Grant, at the halfway point, I'd say, like, cause I'd have to go 10 hours a day for, you know, 12 over, you know, endlessly for 10 hours a day, back to back to back to back with no stopping. And on the polar plateau, it's absolutely flat. So the wind would blow your tracks away. So it was mentally, it was groundhog day. You'd wake up and there'd be no proof you did any work the day before. So you couldn't even see the fruit of your labor as you were laboring the hardest I had ever worked. It was the wow. hardest physical exertion that I'd ever put out. And then you'd literally look behind you and there was no proof of your effort. Things weren't coming into view. There wasn't anything you were leaving. It was just endless hard work in a big white room. You were inside a ping pong ball, basically. And so as I'm doing that, I'm asking myself, you know, say at the five hour mark where I've totally hit the wall. Hey, Grant, you got five more hours. And the answer 100% of the time was no. No way. I don't have five more hours. So, all right, Grant, no big deal. No big deal. Grant, can you give me, can you give me one more hour? hundred percent of the time, the answer is no, no big deal. Grant, can you give me, um, can you give me say a thousand feet? Almost a hundred percent of the time, the answer is no, no, no chance. There's not even a thousand feet left in me. Okay. No problem. Grant, can you give me a hundred feet? The answer is no. Okay. Grant, can you give me 10 more feet? Can you give me 10 feet? I'd say, yeah, yeah, I got 10 feet. So I'd go 10 more feet and I'd ask myself again, Hey Grant, you got 10 more feet? Yeah, yeah, I got 10. They get 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. Mm. And five hours later, I'm still asking myself, hey, Grant, do you got 10 more feet? Wow. And I say this a lot. I say, it's the summation of the small goals that make up the fruition of the insurmountable. Like you've mm. always got 10 more feet. And it applies in life, no matter what you're going through. If you look at school and you're saying, can I make it through uh, you know, four years of high school? The answer is no. Sorry, can't do it. No chance. Can't do it. But if it's, can you just do this one test? That's it. Just this one test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do that. Do the one test. And then the next day, can I do this other test? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the next test. Can I do this other challenge? Can I get through this social scenario? Can I work with this, this, this conversation I need to have? Yeah, I can get through that. Mm-hmm. And if you just take them one thing at a time, all of a sudden, four years later, you're like, wow, did I just graduate? I think I did. I'm on to the next. And so it's mm-hmm. the summation of the small goals that make up the fruition of of the insurmountable. You've always got 10 more feet in your life. And April, you asked about, about affirmations. So I'm saying to myself out there, and I didn't know I did this. I'm saying these, these words, I'm saying, I am strong. I am well, I am healed. I am whole. I'm saying these things out loud. And now keep in mind, I am not this conscious and I'm not this guru. And I'm not this guy that like yoga's out hard and like new to do this. This is a hundred percent. My wife, my babe was all into every ounce of this as I'm going, like from the minute I met her, she's, you know, manifest and putting words out and affirmations. And I'm over there going thumbs up. I love you so much, but I'm watching you do that. I had no idea the power of what she was creating in her own life. And I was watching her and her, her majesty create this. And I was, I was a, a bit removed until the day I land on the polar plateau and it's 50 below zero and I just get kicked out of the plane and the plane flies away to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I'm out loud saying, I am warm. I am warm. I am warm. (laughs) You say something enough. You believe it. You believe it. You become it. You become it. It's yours. And legit, I had to Jedi mind trick myself past the cold. I had to say, I am warm when obviously I'm not. I've never been so cold ever in my life. Never have I faced cold like this. And I'm saying, I am warm, I am warm, I am warm. And as I realized that it worked, you know, we're not talking 100%, but if you could just move the needle by 1%, it's worth it. So, okay, if I can move the needle with it's, it's I am warm, I am warm, I am warm. Well, what else am I? I am well, I am healed, I'm whole, I'm stoked. I'm achieving my goals. I am moving forward. I'm saying these things out loud, right? And so like, Day one, it's quiet in my heart, right? Day three, four, five, it's like getting louder and louder. By the time I'm getting further in the expedition, it's coming out of my throat. It's like welling up and coming out of my mouth. And I'm saying this stuff out loud. And by day 10, one of our photographers pulls up next to us, says, bro, bro, you okay? Because keep in mind, all, all he can hear, my, my face is covered. And all he hears is, <laughs> so he thinks I'm like calling out for help. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm good. I'm doing my affirmations. He's like, affirmations? What's that? I'm like, I'm saying things like, I am well, 
I am healed. I am whole. He's like, oh, cool, 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 cool. Good for you, dude. Good for you. I'm like, hey, man, I want you to do one right now. I want you to say one for me. He's like, you want me to say one out loud? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to say the words, I am unbreakable, right? And he's like, I'm unbreakable. I'm like, who's going to hear you? He goes, okay, fair. He's like, I am unbreakable. I'm like, no, man, come on, yell it to me. Give it to me. He's like, I'm unbreakable. I'm like, yell it, man, as loud as you can. He's like, I'm unbreakable. And I'm like, how do you feel? He says, I feel awesome. And he skis away at like a thousand miles an hour. Right. And like, I get to joke about this a lot because the experience was insane. I watched him literally on jet fuel ski away from me. And I realized the power, the absolute raw, unadulterated power of declaring what you are, what you want, what you aim to create in this world, the power of saying it, of putting it out there, of saying, this is what I want to experience in life. And putting it out there, not just for accountability, for your friends and family to hear and say, ooh, are you sure? Like, let me question that in you for you to wear that and, and, and say, yes, this is really what I'm doing, but also for the universe to hear it and say, all right, let me unlock all the doors that you're about to walk through. You still have to walk through them. You got to do the work. You're going to have to grind and get through those doors, but you are going to unlock them with the power of manifestation. We're believers. We are believers. Mm, our people. <laughs> <laughs> I love all of it. You know, so April good. and I, we teach our little boys this all the time. And I, uh, my youngest was more kind of believing and, and willing to like go with mom and play with the affirmations and the words. And I kind of watched my older children see what happened in his life and start doing it as well, even though they were resistant. It's just, oh, I, it's such an easy thing to do. That feels silly at first, but listeners young ones play with it play with the experiment like grant says and, and doesn't it it does feel silly i mean you you feel mm -hmm. almost like a goofball when you're this is what i'm doing or this is what i am you say it and you're like oh that's weird but then as soon as you see the results you know and they don't happen instant they're not today mm -hmm. they're they're not you know weeks from now they might be years from now but when you start to realize the power of it and and how much it aligns you and your efforts and everything that you want to do and feel and experience, God, like there's nobody. You, I guarantee you, April and Ro, would, there's nobody in the world you guys wouldn't walk up to and say, this is my affirmation. You'd walk up to the Pope and say, I am this. This is what I want to create. And this is the experience in life I'm having with with conviction because you know the power. Mm -hmm. It's it's so true. It is so true. And it's so crazy if you ever stop doing it and then you're like, oh, yeah. And you start doing it again. You're like, wow, this actually works. It's crazy. It's like magic, literally. But you get what you you get where you say you get what you ask for. So I love it. Um, oh, my gosh, we love you. You have just like said all the things that we love about you and that we just you filled everybody's cup. It's just so it's so you're such a gift to the world and you're a gift to all of our listeners and we want you to just tell everybody what does it mean to be a champion to you Ooh, oh i love you back and what does it mean to be a champion i i mentioned on there's two sports i follow alpine skiing and supercross and the reason i follow supercross is because the champions are so vocal about how to become a champion and it's been said by some of the greatest champions in Supercross. I love this. You don't win championships on your good days. You win them on your bad days. Championships are won when everything's going wrong, not right. Ooh. When it's going right in life, you're doing it. You're killing it. Everything's great. Being a champion isn't about celebrating how easy and great and awesome and fun life is. Being a champion is about mitigating struggle. It's about turning a bad day into a good day. It's about, it's about taking the difficulty that you've either created in your own life or has been imposed upon you or that you've walked into somehow and turning it into something that in the Supercross world is they call it salvaging points. If you're on the podium every weekend, gold medal, gold medal, gold medal, and then you have a day where, oh, you had a bad start and you're in the middle of the pack, if you can just mitigate that and get to fifth place, that's how championships are won. So it isn't about beating yourself up when you have down days. It isn't about being able to skip down days. It's about mitigating and being the best possible version of you still working toward your goal on your bad days. So what does it mean for me to be a champion? I think that 
having a spinal cord injury gives me the opportunity to have a bad day every day. And so I choose, I choose actively to mitigate that and go beyond it to thrive through that and go beyond that to share that with others around me so that they can not only experience the stoke that I'm generating through my own decision to move through my challenges, but also have that be contagiously affected to the people in their circles. And so I think it's about sharing that light. I think it's about being able to, to be a positive uh, solution uh, or, or a part of the positive solutions in the world. And I think champions are made not on their good days, but on their bad days. And I, mm. I want to share one other thing. If, do we have time for yeah. two more minutes? Yeah. yeah. I, I think the most important part about, about this is, is the human factor. Yes, choosing positivity. Uh, yes, becoming, uh, you know, champions on your hard days, but also understanding the human factor of, of how you do that, because you can't be unreal. You can't be, uh, you, you can't be superhuman every day or, or at even the times any day. And I think the answer to that is it's never going to be perfect. There's mm -hmm. never going to be a day or a time in your life when everything is working out, when everything's dialed, you're always going to have a stomach ache or you know, uh, something like a contact, or there's always going to be something going on, the littlest thing, something with the house, something, you know, with a, a parent, a friend, a teacher, there's always going to be something going on. And you take the greatest athletes on the planet, they walk out on the field, never at 100%. They've got, you know, a sore ligament, or there's, uh, you know, something happened, they're traveling, and somebody picked up a cold, like they go out on the field at some version under 100 and do battle and absolutely send it and dominate. It's never going to be perfect in your life. There's always going to be something that's off, but choosing mm -hmm. to focus on the 99% and making that your new 100 is what makes you a champion, is what makes you unbreakable. Because if you can just say the 99% is, is 100, then nothing can phase you when that 1% gets knocked off the top. Everywhere you go and every speech I give, every, every uh, field that I walk out on, every wave that I surf, it's never a hundred. I walk out there, say for a speech, my, my legs are burning, burning. And I get to that microphone and things are anything other than ideal in my own life, but I'm there to serve I'm there for the audience. I'm not there for me. Right. When I, when I paddle out on a wave, maybe, maybe my, my seatbelt just shifted, right. As it's the critical moment where I've got to take the late drop on the wave and it's either get annihilated by the wave or surf it sort of compromise and figure it out on the wave. I'll figure it out on the wave. I'll take that. So it's never going to be a hundred. And I've, I've got a Squaw Valley story. I remember I was, I was, it was a friend's birthday and we were making laps on the bullet and the bullet lands. It's, you know, comes down steep run. April knows this better than anybody in the world and lands on the mountain run at Squaw Valley, which is this ribbon flat run, most dangerous run on the whole mountain. It's where everybody comes <laughs> off the rad stuff and gets to the flat part, and then they move down the mountain run to the bottom of the chairlift to go back up to the top and ski the rad stuff. And so I'm coming off the bullet, and I'm doing big, just like super G turns, just railing in the sit ski, which is one ski with suspension and a chair, and then I've got poles with skis at the end. And I'm railing these big, rad, fun turns. And I come, I'm two turns out where I'm going to hit the bottom of the bullet and hit the flats there at the mountain run. And I set up my turn. I spot my gap in the crowd. I come through the G out on a right turn, wham, right through the G out, in the gap in the crowd, and I make it. And I realize in that moment, it hits me like a ton of bricks. I have arrived into a sea of working legs, a sea of working legs, and it hits me. I, I don't want to be there. This isn't it. I'm, I'm not supposed to sit down and ski. I grew up in incline as a ski racer with 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 goals of of, of competitive ski racing, and and I. I, I'm not supposed to sit down and ski. This isn't it. I don't want to be here. I don't want anything to do with this. No. And it hits me in that moment. Mm. I, I'm again, completely at choice. A millisecond ago, I was fully stoked. I was stoked that I was railing these turns. And now a millisecond, now I'm in this spot where I'm unstoked because why? One thing isn't right about the circumstance. I'm still in the snow. Mm. I'm still skiing. I'm still smelling the same smells. I'm on my favorite mountain. I'm doing all the things. The one thing, the 1% that's off is that I'm sitting down. And I realize, am I going to trade the 99% of all the goodness that exists in this circumstance for the 1% that's wrong? Or am I going to choose the 99 and let go of the one? 
I chose oh. the 99. I went on that day. I kept skiing. Skiing led to the next day of skiing and the day after that. And that's led to, you know, skiing and surfing and playing and flying and all these things all over the world because I'm choosing the 99. The 99% is the thing to choose. Don't, don't let go of the 99 for the one. Life, it's never going to be perfect and that's okay. So know that it's never going to be perfect. Show up, do your best in spite of the fact that it's not perfect and win championships. Be a champion on your off day. Boom, boom, boom. You have changed my life today. (laughs) I know we are so excited for our tribe to hear all of this. You guys, young listeners, young champions, go follow Grant on Instagram at Grant Colgan. Get G'd up with the G-man, Grant, every day. Join him in this movement of choosing positivity every day and see what happens in your life. We're so lucky to have you. Go find his book, Two Steps Back. Um, go find the movie Push. You heard some of the stories, but you're going to want to watch the whole thing. Go search for his TED Talks. I mean, this man is a gift and I cannot believe you're our friend and that you gave us so much time. Um, We are so grateful. Uh, And you know what? He's not yet finished. That's why you need to go follow him on Instagram and see what's happening. He is literally blowing the limits that people put on him. And I'm just going to say right here, I will not be one bit surprised when one day you feel everything again. I know that's on your affirmation board and in your mind's eye. So I'm not going to be surprised. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Thank you, Grant. (laughs) Thank you. I'm I'm manifesting this with you 100%. I love it. Oh, thank you. 